Hey, everybody, this is Mike Portnoy from the Winery Dogs and Sons of Apollo and Transatlantic and Dream Theater and Twisted Sister and whoever else you might be listening to right now. And you're listening to Appetite for Distortion with Brando. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 384. My name is Brando, our first guest of 2023, Mr. Mike Portnoy. How are you, sir? Good. Three, uh, 384 is my, my lucky numbers. This is going to be the greatest interview ever. I knew it. I knew it. That's why <laughs> I, it's like I planned it that way, of course. So where are you zooming in from, if you don't mind me asking? I'm, uh, I'm at home. I live in Pennsylvania, Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania. And uh, I'm here for a few more weeks before hitting the road. Right on, right on. And I can't wait because you're going to be in my neck of the woods. I'm currently in Queens, so I can go two ways, either into the city or Long Island to see uh, the winery dogs. Or... Both or both, you're, <laughs> you're right. You were ready with that response. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but before we get to that, because I was curious where you were, because I believe, if Wikipedia is correct, which it usually is, of course, you're from Long Beach, Long Island. Correct. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because I'm a Long Island boy, even though I'm currently in Queens. I was. Where are you from? Baldwin. Oh God, that's where uh, D. Snyder's from, and mm-hmm. my old friends, the Crumb Suckers, were based out of there back in the day. The Crumb yeah. Suckers. I'm not familiar with them. Oh yeah, they were an awesome New York hard, hardcore band back in the '80s, and they were good, good friends of mine. And they were my friend Chuck Lenahan and Gary Meskill. They were based in Baldwin as well. Right on. So you're right by Sunrise Highway and all that. Yeah, I, I was right south of you in Long Beach. Yeah, I was there. I was in Long Beach for about 35 years or so. Okay. Uh, I'd like to say, although I'm from Brooklyn, even though I moved when I was one and a half, just to me, it sounds more, I don't know, authentic to be a Brooklyn Jew as opposed to a Long Island Jew. (laughs) That's my my joke I've been saying for nearly 40 years. Uh, But I wanted to know, because I've visited Long Beach plenty, mainly during my college years, because that was where a lot of the college bars were at. Uh, Chauncey's in the West End, yep. So... Me growing up on Long Island, I'm lucky because my also one of the jobs I do for iHeart is, is work for Q1043. Uh, at a, it's, you can hear it in all the tri-state. So I grew up listening to the radio. So reading up about you and your history, not just Long Island, you try to bond there. Your dad was a DJ? Was a radio DJ? Yeah, he was, but um, he relocated to Carmel, California when, when uh, my mom and dad got divorced when I was really, really young. So he actually, I mean, it's a funny story. I won't get too de- in detail of it, but he he saw the movie Play Misty for Me by Clint Eastwood. Classic. And Clint Eastwood was a disc jockey in Carmel, California on KRML radio. And my dad saw the movie and loved the location and loved the idea of being a disc jockey. So he picked, picked up, moved to Carmel and got a job at KRML radio, radio and literally had the exact job in the same exact stu- uh, studio, in the same exact city as as Clint Eastwood in that film. 
brilliant. No stalkers yeah. for him, though? Did he? Have- no, no. But it's funny. But yeah, uh, I used to do the radio show with him, you know, when I go visit him and spend the summers with him. So I was like this little six year old celebrity back then. And, the, you know, in the early 70s. And one time I remember calling up the operator to place a collect call. And I was like, you know, I need to place a collect call from from Mike. And then the operator's like, is this Mike Portnoy? You should recognize my voice at like six years old. Wow. That was my first claim to fame. But yeah, I, I grew up listening to New York uh, rock radio. At, when I was a teenager in the in the 70s, it was WPLJ. Okay. Yeah, that was rock for a while. And uh, I yeah. think it's Christian now. I, I, yeah, I, I don't even know. Yeah. That's the way it goes. Because I know there's so much to talk to you about, but it's just the the beginnings that, that fascinate me. And when you... See somebody like I guess for me that you become a fan of, I guess like it was with D. Snyder, right? It was seeing somebody where I'm from, kind of see where they can be. That's how right. I, I, I look at it. So uh, they kind of stay local uh, until we move on to the winery dogs. Uh, I stayed. Uh, I went to Hofstra University for college. So I went. I went there for a semester as well. You did. I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. After I left, after we formed Dream Theater at Berkeley, we came back to Long Island, and I did two semesters at Five Towns, and then one semester at Hofstra. Oh, okay. And Five yeah. Five Towns College is probably, I don't know, five minutes away from my mom's house in Dix Hills. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> See, those are things I like finding out. So I got my radio start. Here's the connection at Hofstra. 88.7 FM Radio, Hofstra University, The Aggressive Edge. And it was my induction to, as you just mentioned before, Dream Theater. And no radio station was playing them. So I'm just curious when the first time you heard uh, uh-huh. yourself on the radio and your reaction to it. Because I, I am lucky I got exposed to Dream Theater through college radio and through progressive rock and more. Because it wasn't just always the same bands. Trust Your Radio wasn't teaching me that. Right. Yeah, I remember distinctively the very first time hearing myself on the radio. It was around uh, 1986 or 87, and Dream Theater weren't Dream Theater yet. We were still called Majesty, and we had put out this demo, a 1986 demo, the Majesty demo, and it was with our first singer, Chris Collins. And um, around 86 or 87, um, WBAB had uh, Fingers Metal Shop and Fingers yes. was the first person to play us on Metal Shop. But, you know, we weren't signed yet. It was a demo. I think he used to do this thing once a week where he'd play a local demo, Fresh Metal or whatever it was called. And uh, he played a track off the Majesty demo. And I remember we were at rehearsal. We had a, a rehearsal place in Huntington, Long Island, and we would gather around the radio because we found out he was Fingers was going to play one of the songs. And we all sat in my van listening to BAB. Huh. Uh, what is it? 102.3, I think. 102.3 and, uh, WBAB, Long Island yeah. Classic Rock. I worked there for a year. So Yeah. And it, was finger, <laughs> and it was Fingers. And then, so, you know, he played us just as this local demo. But then, uh, sure enough, when we signed our first record deal in 88 and put out our first album in 89, he, of course, uh, got totally behind us and then started playing the album regularly, you know, before anybody else in the world was playing, playing us. Oh, that's cool. I love the the days when radio had an impact. Like, I mean, it still does, but I mean, when it was only radio, now you can get it in so many different ways. But yeah, I was at BAB for a while and no fingers and all his clown tattoos and everything. So that's yeah. very, see how you know these things. That's, that's very yeah. cool. Uh, so to <laughs> really flash forward, well, maybe we'll, we'll flash forward a bit with the winery dogs because there was a, 
there's seven years. I, I love all the press release that says the aptly uh, a, a dog's life, you know, for winery yeah. dogs. Uh, seven. Well, years. You know what? I never even I never even put two and two together. That's true. <laughs> I the, yeah, that's a good public relations uh, person. You know yeah. that. So I guess is it because all of you, uh, the three of you, I shouldn't say all of you, uh, you Richie and Billy, also have your other projects. And why it took seven years? Because it wasn't just COVID. It's COVID. No. So I guess what went into the hiatus or we'll reconvene when it's right. What, why we, seven uh, years? Well, we, we did our first two albums back to back. So we did the first album, I think it was around 2012, toured throughout 2013 and 14, then immediately did hot streak and then immediately went on the road for that for like a year or so. So it was two back to back cycles, a lot of touring, a lot of shows, a lot of groundwork. And, uh, after those two cycles, I think the three of us felt, okay, you know, let's just take a breather because we, we all have other things in our lives, you know, other projects and other bands. So I think we wanted to just take a step back and have some time to regroup with some of our other things. And we always knew we would come back together at some point. We just wanted to take a little break. And around 2019, we got together to do a string of shows uh, in the summer uh, throughout America, just for the fun of it. No new records of support or anything like that. We were just playing just to have fun. And that really re, re, reignited the spark between the three of us. And we, you know, we realized how much we love playing together and how much fun we have together. And so we knew we inevitably had to do a third record as soon as we could align our schedules. And then, then COVID hit, that kind of put it on the back burner for about a year or so. But by summer of 21, once things were loosening up with lockdowns, uh, we put it on a calendar. We met up at Richie's place in L.A. and um, started work on this third album and, uh, you know, spent the good part of the next year or so putting it together. And now here we we, we are with it finally coming out. Right on. So uh, aptly named, to use that word again, I, I saw it and sometimes the word gets stuck. Gets stuck. My vocabulary is limited. Uh, new album three is coming out uh, February 3rd. So um, the, the single and the video out for Xanadu, one of those words that I've always heard, never saw it spelled. I'm like, Okay, that's how you spell Xanadu. too. Uh, you must not be a Rush fan then. I'm I'm a Rush fan. I know I, I, who I'm speaking with. I mean, I mean, and later if we have time, I know you just give a uh, gave a um, what was like a tribute to to Neil Peart and, and everything yeah. that was pretty pretty sweet. This goes back to radio. This will tie it in. For the longest time, I wasn't a Rush fan. It was something about uh, Getty's voice. It just wasn't for me, and I made the mistake of saying I don't like them to a DJ when I was up at WPH uh, in Poughkeepsie give him a shout out Jack George who is as big of you know just like you a major you're either in super into Rush or you're not and I made the mistake and I looked like it looked like I insulted his mother basically uh, as I've gotten older I've appreciated them more and more so I don't know their entire catalog but I've learned to really appreciate and respect Rush so uh, yeah so I I'm not a. I don't have a Rush podcast. Put it that way. I, just, you, you, you just know, don't know how to spell their songs. But <laughs> yeah, I guess I know the. the there wasn't one of the ones that were played on. Uh, I would play on the radio uh, right. often, so it was just one of those. So uh, either way, is that a dedication to Rush? Out of curiosity. No, no, no. Okay. Just, no, completely, completely different. All right. Well, I figured I'd ask just since we're kind of on the. I, should, on the I shouldn't have out. even brought it up. My bad. No, I want to be. <laughs> what were you going to say about our songs, Anadu? Oh, well, I also want to be exposed for my lack of Russian knowledge. <laughs> I, I, I have to learn. I, I felt kind of like a, like a whole world was behind me. 
you know, and I really didn't get it. And, and, and I was like, ah, Rush, it's, it's only for kind of geeky metal people. And it's not for me. I was all about the 80s sleaze. And then I, as I've gotten older, my beard is not as gray as yours. As I've gotten older, though, I've, I've learned to really appreciate and respect them. So about your song, Xanadu, was that the first one you, uh, song you laid down? I know it's the first song that's out, that's public, it's single. But when you went in to start recording this new album, Three, where did it start? Um... Xanadu was the, if I remember correctly, the fourth song we wrote. We ended up writing the blueprints for about maybe 13 or 14 songs musically, and then only picked, cherry picked about 10 of them to to develop for the album. I think Xanadu might have been the fourth thing we jammed on and put together musically, but it was the first song that Richie, uh, you know, at the end of the night when Billy and I went back to our hotel, uh, Xanadu was the first one that he pulled up and then started singing some melodies and some lyrics to and then presented to me and Billy the next day in the studio. So that was the first one that he developed with lyrics and vocals. Okay. And and as soon as he did, we knew it was a, a great, strong track. And uh, at least in my head, I always knew that that should be the first single. And sure enough, it ended up being this is a true story. As I'm listening to the album this morning, because I thankfully I'm privy to it as to prepare for this interview. Uh, a lot of stuff I listened to the headphones. Didn't want to listen to the headphones. Wanted it out loud. My wife's doing work on the couch, you know, laptop. She's a uh, she's not a Rush fan. She's not. She likes Guns N' Roses. She's a Dave Matthews fan. That's the big thing. That's the 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 joke with me and my listeners because I can't. I he I respect him. I I just can't. I can't. By the way, happy birthday, Dave Matthews. I guess I could say that. So she's a Dave Matthews fan. I'm playing the new uh, Winery Dogs. And she just looks up, probably up to track three. Gotten through Xanadu, Mad World, Breakthrough. I like this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so that's I'll tell you what. Opinion. I mean, I mean we're, here we are talking about Rush and prog and everything. But the reality is Winery Dogs are not a prog band at all. And we're also not really a metal band at all. And that's why I love doing this, because everything I do in my career with all my other bands and projects is rooted in either prog or metal. But Winery Dogs is a whole different animal. It's more rooted in classic rock, like the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. power trio sound. It's got more of a bluesy, funky R&B yes. thing that that Richie brings to it. And, um, you know, the fact that your wife, like, you know, like somehow, you know, caught her ear. I think this band really is all about kind of hooky, memorable songs that, uh, you know, that have great vocal lines and great, you know, choruses and hooks. So, you know, even though we're kind of all three of us are known to these flashy players, really, when it comes to the winery dogs, it's, it's really all about the song. And I think it's probably the most accessible band of anything I've ever done. I really do think if there's any band that could go on tour opening for Aerosmith or go on tour opening for, you know, Deep Purple or whoever, you know, the list goes on and on and on of, of the bands that we could be compatible with or the radio st- songs that could get radio play um, or, you know, get Grammy attention or, you know, whatever. I think of, of Winery Dogs is hands down the most accessible thing I'm a part of. Accessible is a good word. I, I, I like that because I wanted to give you, because I can tell you I liked it, and it's true. I did like it. I listened to the whole thing through, all 10 tracks. But then you just get an honest opinion just like that. She doesn't always like all the guest music that I play. You right. know, she's like, it's not for me. But, you know, I'm glad you like it. But no, right. she's like, I, I like it. I like it. Um, speaking of things, because I have gotten her, if you haven't noticed, uh, behind me, I have some Guns N' Roses posters. I don't know if you also noticed the name of the podcast you're on. 
appetite mm-hmm. for distortion. So as she's taken me to Dave Matthews shows, I tried. I just, God bless her. I've taken her to GNR shows. She likes it. She loves it. So she has her opinions. That's what I'm kind of here for, Mr. Opinion. This was like 10 years ago. So I'm curious. I'll give credit to the listener that brought this up. Uh, it was, I guess, maybe when Twitter was new. It was a quick exchange between you and Matt Sorman. You had an opinion you're like, oh God, on, on yeah. November rain. Right. And he responded. Uh, have you guys ever met uh, just to talk about drumming? Because you had a, it's like, why does this epic song that I love have drum fills? And it's Axel's vision. And like people right. like Ringo don't use drum fills. And you all, it was like a, no, a it beef was, that ended a- happy. So yeah, sorry. No, it was a misunderstanding. It was one of those things, one of those Twitter wars that kept blowing up out of nowhere. And I just randomly posted it. November came, November rain came on, you know, wherever. And it, I heard the, the Phil, the Pat Boone, Debbie Boone, Phil, uh, and it dawned on me, oh, my God, it's literally happening every four bars or every eight bars. And I counted them and it was something like 37 times the same fill. And look, I have nothing but respect for Guns N' Roses and Matt Sorum. Matt's a great, great drummer. And he's done amazing stuff both inside and outside of Guns N' Roses. So I never am trying to insult another drummer. I, I could find something something um, impressive or inspiring from any musician out there. And I, I never want to come down or insult any of them, but I, I just kind of randomly posted that random thought. Like, why is this same fill happening 37 times or whatever it was? And I, I, I regret that I did that because it probably came off as an insult to Matt and I did not mean it for, for it to be, but he responded something to the effect of, Oh, at least I don't need a hundred piece drum kit to play. And then I was like, well, Hey, you're talking to the biggest Ringo and Beatles fan of all right. time. You know, don't, don't, don't pull that card with me. And we ended up privately emailing each other and I apologized. And I said, look, I really meant no disrespect whatsoever. So I I do regret that tweet uh, and have learned to kind of be a little more careful about the observations I make online. I I understand what you're saying. That's a shame because I look at it again. This is like 10 years ago. This is non-existent. And it's nice to know that you were so... What was nothing, his response wasn't angry, but privately you took care of it. And that should remain private. But that's what clickbait can do. And I've, oh, my, yeah, my absolutely. interviews have suffered that because I, I go back to, and I read the actual tweets. Right. And it just sounds like, and it makes sense why you're a Rush fan. This intelligent tweet where the average fan, me, the non musician, that's why I'm in radio, would not have noticed that. And I just find that as like an interesting fact. Like, not everything has to be so intense about the song. You know, oh, I, yeah. I get that's something you, you, you observed, and it was just. The early days of Twitter, where it was taken out of context. So, what do you mean the early days? It's still it's worse than ever now. I know. I know. I actually stopped doing interviews for about two years. You're one of the first interviews I'm doing coming back because I got tired of feeding these clickbait headlines to all these websites. You know, it's just it's it's infuriating. But you know what? Let's not even go there. Let's. Yeah, let's switch the topic. Sure, it's, sure. It's, well, I'll, I'll just say this. The, you don't the have downside to, of the internet, you know? I got you. And I'll say this, and you don't have to respond. Uh, I happily gave Rachel Bolin an interview and uh, Snake Sabo an interview and did not mention Sebastian Bach once. And then Good it's for so, you. And it's so funny. All the, the, the Like, maybe an article would come out of it. Yeah, DJ's still asking. He just came out the other day, and it's blowing up all over the internet. And I'm just like... Yeah. It just makes fans angry, like they're talking about it. Anyway, uh, I want to talk about what fans are actually sending me, you know. Uh, if we can just stay on GNR just for a little bit, because it, it's, it got me got me thinking. Uh, actually, I give a credit to, to Doug Roush. Uh, he goes, and the best of both worlds collide, because I'm assuming 
you're just one of his favorite artists and I'm one of his favorite podcasts. Oh, that's nice. I, uh, I actually know, I know Doug. He's a nice guy. He sounds like he knows you. So that's good that it's not a play Misty situation. Did you actually <laughs> it might be. I, I'm not, I'm not saying it's not. I okay. Don't know. So you call back to earlier in the interview. <laughs> I'm good like that. Uh, would he ever consider playing with guns? And I guess I have a, a, a I guess a follow up with that. Okay. Cause there was, I interviewed Josh freeze a while ago. And I said, don't name names, but during the Chinese democracy, when they were uh, auditioning all these drummers, did your name come up at all? Not that I know of. Okay. I, I've, I've never heard of that. I've never heard um, of it either. I just figured I'd ask no. because you, you work with everybody. So that was a shot in the dark. Well, I have, I'm, I'm one degree away from Guns N' Roses because I play with Bumblefoot with Sons of Apollo. And obviously he played with Guns N' Roses for many years. Sure. But if, if the question you're asking is, would I consider playing with Guns N' Roses? I mean... Of course, if I if I was available and I could, I, I some of the most fun and cherished experiences I've had in my career have been these hired gun gigs, you know, going out with Avenged Sevenfold and helping them or going out with Twisted Sister and helping them. Uh, so, yeah, I absolutely love the hired gun uh, scenario, you know, of all the things I do, there's some bands I'm the leader of and other bands I'm just a collaborator in. Uh, but the times that I've been a hired gun, not only avenged and twisted, but I've also done hired gun gigs with Stone Sour and Fate's Warning and Overkill. All of those situations where I've been called upon to just play drums, quote unquote, uh, and just be the drummer and just there, be there to serve a band and their music. Those have been some of the most fun tours of my life. You know, no stress, no responsibility other than just being the best drummer I can for the band and for the music. I've loved those situations. So if a scenario ever came about again with the Guns N' Roses or or whoever, you know, you fill in the blank. Sure. If it was a band whose music I like and respect, I would I would take it in a heartbeat. That's cool. And I like that, that answer because, for one, it was a shot in the dark because of how many people you have – worked with but yeah that just to hear that scenario because sometimes and i believe there was a documentary on it the, yeah. the word hired guns almost has a negative connotation to it but it shouldn't i don't know you know i mean look i look role. at like dean castronova you know hit Pedro with uh journey and eric singer hit, hit it with kiss and scott travis hit it with judas priest you know those are three drummers who i knew before they were playing in any of those three bands mm. Uh, and you know, they got themselves killer, great, you know, legacy, lifelong career gigs. So, yeah, you know, I, 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 uh, I would, would absolutely love a gig like that if it came around, you know, if the right band, the right gig came around. Yeah. That's, that's sounds like so much fun. Well, it seems like you're busy enough now with the winery dogs. And, uh, I guess if I don't get to just to mention, I thought it was really cute what, uh, you and your daughter with the Beatles, um, trivia my god you my wife and i love the beatles too like i said i'm gnr she's dave matthews but we meet at the beatles you you both would destroy us destroy yeah, us we, like wow oh, we would yeah no no question we <laughs> i'm would. not even gonna pretend you guys my daughter so my daughter w destroys me and i could pretty much destroy anybody else so yeah <laughs> it's impressive it, it really was uh impressive uh but to one last thing before i guess wrap up with the uh, the album because i want to of course talk about the the current thing but do you have a favorite, maybe GNR drumming wise song, maybe style? Uh, I don't want to say like, you know, Adler versus Sorum versus Brain or any of these people, but is there a groove that perhaps affected you or just made you think like, oh, wow, that's cool? Or um, Well, I guess the, the first one that comes to mind is what is it? Uh, you Will Be Mine? 
Okay. Uh, I mean, you know, when you talk talk about a you know a classic drum intro, that's surely up there with them. So it's you know that's the first one that immediately pops into my head. Right on, right on. Okay, so now let's go to your drumming. Is there out of the, the tracks that are on this upcoming album? Is there one you're most looking forward to everybody else hearing? Because I've already heard it. Sorry. Drum tracks. You mean like uh, whether it's you're you're drumming on the album, um, on the song, I should say. It was my trying uh, like my creative way of saying what song are you most looking forward to getting out there. It was my my trying to be creative um, way of saying it. You know, I have to approach every dr- song with the Winery Dogs from a drumming perspective. Uh, I'm always really first and foremost trying to serve the song more so than any of the other things I do. The drumming in the Winery Dogs is really very song and groove oriented. Uh, but some of the songs that I get to stretch out a little bit more, a song like Xanadu's got some of it. Um, um, uh, there's a song called Gaslight on the album, which is really, uh, you know, full on double bass, kind of shredding, aggressive. So that's, you know, that's my wheelhouse is doing that kind of aggressive kind of uh, drumming. So Gla- Gaslight's got got that. And then there's um, two songs in the album where we have kind of open-ended improv jams on the back end of the song. Uh, the song Pharaoh and the song The Red Wine. Mm. Both of those end with kind of jams. And what you're hearing on the album is us literally jamming in the moment. Um, you know, on the spot jamming and that's cool. Those were the keeper tracks that ended up on the album. Just hearing the three of us go for it and almost not even knowing where we were going to go. Cause that's one of the fun things about this band live is having those kind of open-ended improv moments. And there's a couple that made it onto the album. So those two particular songs have that. Oh, cool. Cause I was going to mention the red wine, the last track. I like the way it fades out. Now I'm yeah. knowing that it's an organic jam that it just yeah, it was totally organic. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I love that. Uh, so as you guys are the also the uh, the road dogs, in addition to the winery dogs, and you get out on the road, uh, what cities are you looking forward to playing the most? Any and all. Any I mean, all? we love playing. <laughs> we love playing. Obviously, you know, you hit your main markets, New York, Chicago, L.A., London, Paris. Those are always like the big cities. But sometimes you play these little small shows in the middle of nowhere that you have very low expectations of from, and they end up being the best gigs on the tour. So you never know. Uh, but we just love playing live. This is such a great live band. And, you know, Billy and I are the type of rhythm section that just play very, very spontaneously and off the cuff. And you never know what fills you're going to get or what riffs you're going to get and what kind of jams you're going to get. So I love playing live with this band. It's just a great, great live band. And and with that, I'll just follow up with one more fan question. This is from uh, Robert Samuelson. Ask him if he's planning on riding a scooter around Nashville again this time on the Winery <laughs> Dogs tour. Depends on the weather, man. I, I love the Lime scooters on tour, man. Those are such a great thing to 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 jump on and jump off of and get to where you're going. It's a lot more fun than an Uber, you know. If you got if the weather's nice, you know. Very, very true. Yeah, I know where you are, where I am. It's it's cold. It's not terrible, but it's a uh, it's cold. I don't know. Is winter done? Is it? We ever? It's, is is is? Oh no! I, Unfortunately, I think, I we, think we're so. still have a little ways to go here. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, but that does it for us. So, uh, Mike Portnoy, thank you so much for your time. I, I hope we get to do this again. My pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. Good stuff. Very nice guy. I knew that. I expected that. Just you see all of his interviews. He's so relatable. He's so. He just seems like the guy he always was when we were talking about the uh, the young Mike Portnoy uh, you know, with his dad and the radio. And it just seems like he's just the same guy, just 
like me, getting older and grayer, but he has a full head of hair, unlike, unlike me. Uh, but that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. A couple things before I get out of here. I want to thank everybody for the response from the last episode when I was talking about uh, just the um, the ultimate demise of Doug Goldstein's book with, with me, I guess, uh, and just laying it out there. Um, it, it'll, whenever you guys ask me questions online about it, I guess, you know, I'll respond whatever's appropriate, but just, um, just again, again to, uh, follow up on that, what I said in that episode, just disappointing that it didn't work out, but moving on, getting to interview people like Mike Portnoy, moving on to appetite for distortion. It was taken away from me doing things from the podcast. So now I get to focus on you guys and it's paying off. Literally, I guess that's a, another bad segue. Uh, I want to specifically thank Angel from Bulgaria. From Bulgaria. I, I just, it amazes me where people are in the world that find this podcast. And I've said this throughout the years that it's one thing if it's me talking to Mike Portnoy and where it's all New Yorkers listening in East Coast. No, all over the world, people where English is not your first language. And you're listening to me talk about Guns N' Roses. Thank you. So he just uh, tweeted at me, say, how can I make a donation? I gave him, well, after there was a faulty, uh, I, I, apparently I'm big enough to have a fake Twitter out there that was giving out fake information. So if you see anything other than at the AFD podcast spelt correctly, it's not me. Uh, you know it's me. Hey, come on, you look one look at you see all my terrible humor translates to social media. So if you, you see that, nobody can recreate the dumbness that goes on my mind in my mind sometimes. See? Just like that sentence. Uh so Angel. Uh nothing large, but I mean that's not the point. The point is that he reached out. So if you want to do the same thing, he just used PayPal at uh the AFD show at gmail.com. The AFD show at gmail.com. Uh, I do have a Patreon that I barely promote because just like in real life, I'm just, I'm not good at asking for things. I'm really not. My wife might be, might say different, but even that took a while. I just don't let me do it or I don't feel like I'm good enough to, that's a whole other issue. Like it's a, that's why I tell you about my mental problems because it's true. I'm like, I'm not worthy of this. But I'm reminded all the time by, by people like by Angel who don't send in. It's not like I'm, that's happening often. Most of the time, which is uh, food for my soul, I guess, you know, money for my soul. Uh, people just saying, hey, I just found you. Actually, you know, let me look this up right now if I can. Give him a shout out because this is also it gives me a chance to promote my YouTube. So again, between episodes, not only does the conversation continue on uh, social media facebook instagram um, twitter but i'm always promoting uh, and, and posting new clips on youtube so where is uh would have been better if i was oh there we go john walls okay i'm glad i found it so he goes hi brando and he commented on mo my most recent podcast the happy 2023 one Hey, Brando, just found your channel. Love that I found somebody who loves guns as much as I do. Great stuff here, bro. <laughs> he, resp he responds seconds later because you could see that kind of stuff. Soon as I press publish, you talk about people just finding you, LOL. So that happens. And let me see if I could find a, uh, it was another cool tweet because I want to, there are a lot of you just 
thank you that that dm me just if it's guns and roses news if it's just telling me about your sobriety because i talk about uh me not drinking in a, for for seven years things like that about mental health i really appreciate it so okay so i found it i'm done stalling uh richard lundy tweeted at me uh, i just started listening because of the snake interview so i started from the beginning I just want, to, just want to say I love the podcast. I'm glad I found, finally found somebody that feels the same way about Miles Kennedy. I also feel the same way about Eric Grunwald. Uh, very cool. Well, you're going to enjoy the Miles Kennedy interview if you haven't listened to that yet. And we'll see in the future if I get Eric Grunwald. I will not be asking him about Sebastian Bach either. Uh, and I'll give a shout out specifically to uh, who, who <laughs> Phil from the UK, who I once called some guy who listens to these podcasts at twice the speed because that's apparently how people talk where he's from in the uk wow that's also dedication speaking faster than i normally speak at my new york brooklyn long island queens pace that's uh wow i I can't imagine it so however you listen wherever you listen thanks for listening okay so this is uh this does it for this episode with Mike Portney. What is to come? Well, I'll tell you what's to come. Actually, let me lift up my laptop because I, as you could see behind me, I'm in my new studio, my new apartment. Things are a little different here. My cats still jump on it and eat off it. I have a tooth again, so I'm no more lisping for me. But I'm going to tell you, we got the director coming from uh, the, the uh, Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. The, like the director of the entire thing. So there's actually a documentary, uh, Rock Camp, on Amazon, on YouTube. We'll be talking about that. Of course, it's great. If you watch the trailer, which I posted, right away it shows him, uh, Slash, and Roger Daltrey. Right away. So I'm like, this is perfect. Perfect, perfect. And shout out to, I believe it was 80s Girl on, uh, on Twitter that recommended that. Sorry if I got that wrong, but I would uh, also give credit to the person who recommended that. And last up that I've scheduled for at least this month, Sean Bevan returning to the podcast. I believe that I mentioned that last time. So that, that'll be later on in the month. So still plenty of time to send in questions to, to Sean if you want. Whatever he can try to answer about Chinese democracy. Okay, so that does it for this episode. And in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, when will you see the next episode? You'll see it. I don't know. Soon is the word. security, I'm going home.